0: Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winchett Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic.
1: And I'm Ron Hansen. I also cover national politics for the Republic.
0: In today's episode, we're interviewing Mark Kelly, the retired astronaut who was hoping to unseat Republican Senator Martha McSally in Arizona's 2020 Senate race. We've made the offer to McSally's team to join us for an episode, too.
1: We'll ask him about his ideas for Arizona, and then we'll break down what all that means.
0: So, Ron, give us the background.
1: Mark Kelly is a retired astronaut, combat pilot, He's also the husband of former Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, who represented the Tucson area in Washington for five years. The Nation came to know Mark Kelly as a national gun control advocate in 2011 after the shooting in Tucson that left six people dead and 13 injured, including his wife.
0: So far, no other Democrats are challenging him for the nomination to run for the Senate. No one is expected to, at least in a competitive way. Democrats have done a pretty good job of clearing the field for him. He's raised more money than any other candidate running for the U.S. Senate across the country. That includes candidates like Martha McSally and other high-profile people like Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. We generally look at money because it's a measure of a candidate's strength.
1: Nationally, when we talk to people about the top races to watch across the country, they name this race as one of the ones to watch. It's going to be intense, and if it's anything like the 2018 Senate race, it may go into overtime as well. So we'll be covering it until the end, whenever that might be.
0: Here's our interview with Mark Kelly at the Arizona Republic studios in downtown Phoenix on July 24th. The interview has been lightly edited for time. Commander Kelly, thank you so much for joining the Arizona Republic, azcentral.com and USA Today Network as we follow your candidacy through 2020. Let's jump straight in. You do not have a voting record as an elected official. What makes you qualified to be a U.S. Senator?
2: Yeah, I think it's my experience. You know, I've been a public servant my entire life. I came from a family of public servants. I served in the United States Navy for 25 years, flew in combat, became a test pilot, went to graduate school, became an astronaut, served our country in space. So I have a whole, like, range of experiences. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, other individuals, you know, it's, you know, it's a lot of of stuff. I've had issues with my parents, you know, both getting cancer and dying from it. Gabby, my wife, Gabby Giffords, uh, her, issue of, you know, dealing with a healthcare system and how do you overcome that and the bureaucracies involved. So I think I could take my experience, you know, one also where I rely on science and data and facts to do my job take that to Washington, D.C. to help solve the problems
1: here in the state of Arizona. So give us a sense of how you would want to use your Senate seat. Um, uh, in particular, uh, there's a lot of uh, discussion these days about how much accountability should there be with overseeing the presidency and what to do about, um, you know, just the limits of government. Give us a sense of how you would well, want to use you it. You
2: know, I think accountability and transparency are incredibly important. It was important as I served in the Navy. It's important at, at NASA. When you're in government, it's uh, especially elected office. I think it's a little bit different, and there's even, even a higher standard. So I, I I often think about you know what, what are the reasons why our country and Washington D.C. is struggling to solve our problems, and I think it comes down to a few basic things. You know, the first thing is the amount of money, the the corporate money we have allowed to infuse our political system. It's making it incredibly difficult. For members of Congress to solve really tough problems, you know, gerrymandering of congressional districts is another example. Um, and you know, because of that, I want—I'm not going to take any corporate PAC money uh, during this election cycle or any other election cycle I may be involved in. Uh, I'm going to be transparent in my schedule um, as a United States senator if I'm elected. So I think accountability and transparency are so important. And if more senators did that. I think you'd see, you know, more positive things coming from Washington D.C.
0: You have said that you aren't going to take money from corporate PACs, and thus far, you obviously have not. But you have taken money from the people who represent these corporate um, interest groups. Mm-hmm. How do you square that? How do you reconcile that for people who aren't intimately involved in the day-to-day, you know, campaign finance? Laws and goings ons
2: Well, first of all, you know corporations funding campaigns for United States senators. Uh, you know, in my opinion, it gets them something, right? I mean, it, when when a company is helping you get elected, and then you have to vote on issues, I think th- uh, that that senators are often beholden to those corporations, and that's the reason why on February 12th, when I announced, I'm not going to take any corporate PAC money. My campaign is going to be funded only by individuals. And today date, we've got a lot of individuals that are supporting my campaign that come from all walks of life. I mean, all different, you know, backgrounds. I mean, we've got, you know, moms and, you know, retired folks and cops and firefighters and, you know, folks that might work at, at some company. Ninety five thousand contributors to my campaign, but not one dollar of corporate money.
1: You have voted as a Republican and as a Democrat. You speak a lot to independence, it seems. Um, give us a sense of sort of your philosophy of government and what, how you sort of reconcile and speak to all these different constituencies.
2: Well, I think, uh, you know, for anybody we elect to office, I think there should be some sense of independence, that they're not beholden to a political party. And I'm not now, and I'm not going to be in the future. And I think especially here in Arizona, uh, when you see how John McCain served as a United States Senator, I think there was a lot of a, a strong sense of independence, and I think Arizonans want that, and I don't think you know they're getting that from uh, you know Senator McSally at this point.
0: Who do you look to as a model of a of a public servant these days?
2: Well, I think it's a combination of people. You know, certainly my wife, uh, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, incredibly hard worker worked across the aisle to get things done. Some of her like best buddies in Congress were some of the most conservative Republicans. You know, she was a, she was a Democrat, but she was like a person in the middle. You know, John McCain is another example. I mean, on some really tough votes, you know, I think he, you know, he walked across the the aisle and, uh, you know, took the side of the other party. And I think that's important. You know, when 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 individuals do that, you know, they're really uh, making a decision based on, you know, values and often on like the real data and facts. And they're not just
1: aligning with their political party. I think we need a lot more of that. You um, talk about, you know, not being beholden to your party or special interests and such. But there is you're running as a Democrat and there seems to be quite a bit of infighting among Democrats for. What does the party really want on certain key issues? We wanted to rattle through a couple of these, if we could, um, quickly. Healthcare. We the party seems to be debating everything from preserve the Affordable Care Act to single payer Medicare for all. Give us a sense of what you want to see on that issue. Well, I, I'm not a I'm not a supporter of Medicare
2: for all. I think it takes us in the wrong direction, in the opposite direction from where we need to be going. Because if we were to do that. We've got to take away health care from 156 million Americans that currently get their health insurance from their employer, and a lot of you know that health insurance isn't always perfect. Uh, But there are a lot of those individuals like the plan that they have. I don't think we should take that away from them. Um, I think there should be a public option Uh, at a certain age. If you can buy into Medicare, that would take you know an older age group out of the pool where there are is competition, and often the prices for lack of competition or When you look at the individuals that are getting their insurance that way, the cost could be pretty high. So I think it's important to do that. And, you know, we're the wealthiest country on the planet. We should be able to find and figure out how to provide good health care coverage for all Americans and and, and fix the problems with the system. I mean, often the, uh, you know, people's deductibles are too high, premiums are too high, prescription drug prices. I hear from seniors as I travel around the state, you know, folks tell me that, You know, their prescription drug prices may have gone up 300% in a year, and they don't have any way to pay for it, and no explanation why that even happened. So if if I get to the United States Senate, I'm going to focus on, you know, trying to fix these issues, driving down the cost of prescription drugs, uh, providing a public option for certain individuals to buy into Medicare, or in places in places where like, there's an exchange and there's not a lot of competition, maybe there should be a public option there. But expanding healthcare coverage for all Americans, not taking, taking it away from anybody.
0: Democrats are also divided as to how to um, act in the wake of the Mueller report, uh, which involved President Donald Trump and his activities and Russian meddling in the 2016 mm-hmm. election. Should Democrats move forward with impeachment proceedings?
2: So I've read the Mueller report. I also got up uh, early this morning, 5.30, to to, to watch some of uh, Bob Mueller's testi- testimony. Uh, and, you know, we were attacked, right? In 2016, our democracy was attacked by the Russians. We need to make sure that that does not happen again. Not only by Russia, but, you know, who else is going to try to meddle in the next election? Not only in the presidential election, but Senate races, House races. I mean, who knows how far... Uh, they could go. I've worked with the Russians in space, right? Sometimes we can collaborate on things. They can often be a partner. We should never, ever forget that they are an adversary, and they are they are a threat to our democracy. And he asked about impeachment. That's something for the House of Representatives. I've read the entire report. Um, well, let me let me back back up. I've read the parts of the report that you could read you know, a lot of it, you know, it's got black, black ink across it. I think Congress should have the opportunity to, to, to read the entire thing. I think it's good that they got to hear uh, from, from Robert Mueller today, and then they need to make their decision. I'm running for the United States Senate.
0: So you don't have an opinion as to whether or not they should proceed with impeachment?
2: Well, proceed- impeachment is a House proceeding. They need to have their process. The number one thing, though, I mean, here's where we really need to focus our efforts, is to make sure that this does not happen again. I mean, you often, you know, you hear about our adversaries out there. I mean, whether, you know, whether it's Iran, North Korea, China, Russia, and somebody like me who served in the military for 25 years and, you know, I was involved in obviously a lot of the space stuff and satellites, you know, all that that stuff that's a national security thing. You know, some of the biggest threats we have to our country today, stuff we can't see you know it is it is how you know russia or another nation can really affect our democracy and you know most of us aren't aware of it because it's it's not very obvious
1: one other point of intra-party uh, debate seems to be an issue that i know you care a lot about and that's climate change um democrats are pretty united it seems on at least acknowledging science on that but what to do about it from sticking to the Paris goals to, you know, acting on a Green New Deal. How far do you think that the party should be able and willing to go to, uh, you know, combat the effects of this? Well, I'm not in favor of the Green New Deal. Uh, I do
2: think it was a mistake to get out of the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, We've got an issue. Um, If we don't do something on climate change in the year 2100, uh, this temp- the temperature of this planet is going to be about 7 degrees Fahrenheit hotter on average. What that means for the city of, city of Phoenix, you guys live in Phoenix, what it means is in the year 2100 there will be twice as many days over 100 degrees. It'll go from 130 days to 260 degrees. It's going to be really bad for this city, this county, this state. Now the good news is we actually can do something about it. I mean we've got the smartest scientists and engineers that this planet has ever seen by far. If there's any country that, I mean, if we put our mind to something, we can solve really big problems. If we address this now and put more money into research, development of technology, battery technology, solar, wind, renewable energy, uh, we, we can start to like level off the amount of carbon that we're putting into the atmosphere. Um, And that's going to be good for the climate. It also could be really good for the economy here. We've got 350 days of sunshine every year. Could be great jobs for Arizonans, but we have to start focusing on this now.
0: But how do you make those kinds of meaningful advancements when we are operating in a climate in which politically, a lot of people would not even recognize or say that there is a problem.
2: Well, I think you've got to continue to talk about it. and You've got to show them the data. I've taken a look at the raw data on climate change. This is not being made up, right? It's pretty easy to figure out. We've gone from about 280 280 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere pre-Industrial Revolution to about 415-420 today. And that, you know, the specific heat of that CO2 is higher you know, the nitrogen or oxygen it holds heat that's why the temperature is increasing so you have to convince folks that this is a real thing and I think as a nation I think we've moved in the right direction on this if you think about where we were 10 years ago you know where there were a lot more climate deniers out there and you see that a lot of individuals have come a long way on this now we've got a figure out how folks can work across the
1: aisle to come up with some solution. So speaking of working across the aisle for solutions on difficult issues, immigration and border security, uh, a perennial Arizona concern. We've seen a succession of senators here uh, in just the past few years, all of whom acknowledge that this is important and we need to do something, none of whom was able to really break through the log jam in, in Washington. What is it that you want to see done on those issues? And how would you be any more successful than they were not? If there were easy solutions out there for this, it would have happened a while ago. I mean, since 19, since the
2: mid-1980s, we've spent about $260 billion on immigration enforcement. And what do we have for it? I mean, Washington has really failed the state of Arizona on this issue. So again, I think you get to the point where you've got to find some bipartisan solutions. To, to this issue, it can't be just one party or the other. I think border security is incredibly important. I think there's a crisis on the Arizona border. We cannot handle, this nation cannot handle 100,000 asylum seekers every month. I mean, it's just, it's just incredibly difficult to handle that. I think, uh, you know, listening to the Tucson Border Patrol sector chief, right, he, a couple months ago, uh, when asked what he needs is he wants, you know, some, some improvement in, in infrastructure, he wants more staffing and more technology on the border. Because of my background, I'm also like a root cause kind of person. Like, what's the first thing that's happening in El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala that's causing all of these individuals to come to the United States? Now, having said that, you know, they have a right, individuals have a right to seek asylum. They should have a process. We need more judges at the border. Uh, but, you know, having said all that, I think as a country, we cannot be taking children away from their parents and separating them and putting them in, you know, cages and conditions that, you know, you often wouldn't want to maybe a convicted felon to have to deal with. So, you know, the conditions need to be improved. We need more uh, immigration judges at the border. And we've got to work on this as in a bipartisan way. And what about a wall or some other security? Well, I think in some places, right, if you're in Yuma, you know, outside of Douglas, I was just down in No Nogales recently. I mean, a, a wall, a barrier, fencing, I mean, different things in different places certainly make sense in more like rural and remote regions of the border. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to put, you know, a, a, a big barrier technology, certain kinds of technology, whether it's, you know, it could be like, you know, audio sensors, right, or LIDAR, you know, laser that kind of operates like a radar, radar systems, infrared. You know, those type of technologies is more cost effective, might be more effective, period. I mean, you build, you know, a 30-foot wall and you put it out in a remote area, somebody's going to show up with a 31-foot ladder.
0: Why should voters choose you over Senator Martha McSally?
2: I think there's, you know, a number of reasons, right? So if you care, first of all, if you care about your health care, Right, and maybe you have a pre-existing condition, or maybe a family member has a pre-existing condition, and you want to be able to get health insurance. So I am I'm somebody who's in favor of allowing people with pre-existing conditions to get a health insurance plan. That is not true with my opponent. Uh, If you're if you get sick, you know, and you have health insurance. Uh, I'm in favor of keeping those protections that prevent you from getting kicked off of your health plan because you got sick. Uh, that's not true with Senator McSally either. Uh, the vote she has taken, if, if, if that would have, you know, proceeded and signed into law uh, for somebody who might be 25 years old and they're on their parents' health insurance, they could potentially lose their health insurance. Uh, if, if the vote she took on health care were put into Practice 400,000 Arizonans would have lost their health insurance. Uh, Two to three million Arizonans have pre-existing conditions. Maybe they would have lost their health insurance as well. Certainly some some of them would. So, you know, on health care, I think there's a pretty, um, you know, pretty distinct difference between the two of us. Um, You know, I often, I think a lot about what has made it so difficult for the United States Senate and the U.S. House and Washington, D.C. to solve everyday problems for Arizonans. And it, you know, to me it comes down to just a couple things. And one is the corporate money that has infused our political system through the campaigns of you know, United States senators and House members. There aren't many. There's a, there's a few others that don't take corporate PAC money, you know, like myself, but it's not many. And I think it should become a mandatory
0: thing. And McSally and makes- is among those who does take that money.
2: Absolutely, yes. So that's 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 a difference. There are also places where we're similar. You know, she was an Air Force pilot. I was a Navy fi- pilot. Uh, we flew similar kind of kind of airplanes. I mean, she flew the A-10. Operationally, I flew an A-6 intruder, similar kind of mission. Both served in the military about the same amount of time, so there, there are similarities as well. I think the differences, though, are more important.
1: So, you have been a combat pilot. You've also been an astronaut. You've also been near the center of a national tragedy. Um, what is this experience like for you? You've had a, you know, sort of an adventurous life and a lot of different experiences. What has surprised you or been most notable so far? I haven't been surprised a lot,
2: but I could tell you what this feels like. It, it kind of feels like the first time I walked up to the space shuttle on my very first flight to fly into space. It's actually kind of the only thing I can compare it to. You know, it's a long process. Right, it's about the same amount of time we train for a space shuttle flight. It's almost two years. Um, there are things that make it a little bit intimidating. There's a lot you have to learn. You know, if I'm elected to the United States Senate, it's kind of kind of feel like you're working with different different people to solve important problems.
0: How uh, have you interacted with Senator Kirsten Sinema, who is the first Democrat in 30 years to be elected from State 48 to represent right. Arizona in the Senate? How do you expect that relationship to work and look like, and what does it look like so far?
2: Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I've known her for um, a number of years now. Not not very well, but you know we've crossed paths a number of times. And since uh, you, deciding to run for office, I've met with her a number of times. She's given me some great advice. You know she worked really really hard in her. She was a great candidate. I think she's going to be a great U.S. senator. She knows this business really well, and uh, and I think she's doing a really great job. And I really enjoyed watching her. I, I didn't see it live, but I watched her her speech on the floor of the Senate yesterday.
1: Well, very good. Uh, Commander, we appreciate your time. Uh, thank, thank you for talking to us, and we look forward to watching you on the campaign trail. Great. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. About. Thanks so much. Appreciate
0: it. All right, listeners, let's break down some of what we just covered there, and let's get a sense of what this means for uh, 2020. I was really interested to hear his answers on a couple of points. But first, what's really at stake with this race?
1: Democrats certainly hope nothing less than control of the U.S. Senate is at stake and that this is going to be one of those critical top tier battlegrounds for determining who will control the Senate in 2021. And for Republicans, this is really about trying to make sure that this state doesn't slip into a, the purple tier of states, that this is traditionally regarded as a red state. But if after losing the 2018 Senate race, they follow that up with another loss in 2020. Boy, people are going to start looking at Arizona differently. And that's a a scenario the GOP really wants to avoid.
0: And behind the scenes, what we're hearing from a lot of operatives, both Democrats and Republicans, is that Arizona is precariously perched. And we are on the verge of tipping into that either purple or more blue, when it, at least when it comes to, to the Senate races, type of state. And that is something that we've been talking about for, at least since I arrived in Arizona, for almost two decades now. And it really hasn't materialized. But I think for the first time, at least since I've been here, this is a real threat uh, to Republicans.
1: Let's talk about how that actually might happen this time. What is it, Yvonne, that you think that Mark Kelly's campaign is doing or represents that is that threat to the GOP.
0: He's speaking to one clear issue that resonates with a segment of voters that I haven't really heard other candidates on the national stage or even the state stage here in Arizona speak to, and that's climate change. That is something that young people are very concerned about. Parents and grandparents. He's speaking to them in a way that tells them what is at stake for future generations. And I think Democrats see that as a motivator, right, for some of these people who maybe didn't vote or weren't eligible to vote um, the last cycle or the cycle before that. And I think if you can mobilize um, these type of people and convince them on an issue this big, you might have a chance to flip this seat.
1: What struck me from our conversation is then he's also comfortable talking about, you know, being independent and, and being driven by science and evidence and such. He really feels like he's reaching for a big middle portion of our uh, electorate and just being respectful and, and being more, you know, statesman like John McCain honoring that tradition. It seems like that, maybe that's for an older part of the electorate. I mean, it really seems like he's covering a lot of the bases here.
0: I'm also curious to hear what his message actually is on gun control, especially in a state like Arizona.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something that was sort of his introduction to the public eye was becoming the spokesman that his wife could not be. The politics of gun control and of the Second Amendment these days seems to have evolved quite a bit just since 2011. That's something that you would expect that Mark Kelly, all things equal, would be leaning in on that but again, for somebody who's trying to reach out to independents who may be more favorably inclined toward gun rights, I am curious to see how he tries to finesse that point. He wants what he'll label as sensible gun controls. Does he raise that issue? Is there any way that Martha McSally would come after him on the issue of guns, especially given Gabrielle Giffords is Uh, status and and what happened to her. So it's, it's a major issue, especially nationally, but it's unclear how the issue will be introduced to us in Arizona.
0: And I would suspect that Democrats would like to define him on the gun control issue before it is defined for him by Republicans. At the same time, People have a pretty clear opinion about how they feel about Martha McSally. So it will be interesting to see what messages she uses to try to move up her favorabilities.
1: Yeah, I mean, Senator McSally is clearly in a pretty tough spot. And there are already signs, as you know, that she's responding to this. She's made some changes in her campaign team. She's really trying hard to figure out what the lines of attack on Mark Kelly are.
0: Uh, When we saw him at his rollout, for his campaign. I think it was back in February. He had a, a big uh, rally in downtown Phoenix. It was very stilted. It felt like he was really struggling to connect with um, people who attended, even though they were pretty fired up. He seems pretty comfortable now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it feels to me like he's getting better at this. Now, look, it seemed like there was just a personal connection. You know, it really doesn't have any super great meaning on people, but you can't deny that it can have an impact. If Mark Kelly is good at selling himself to people, regardless of what his policy positions are, that's another plus and that's another challenge for Senator McSally, who is often seen as really kind of very business-like. The retail politics part of this matters more than we might think.
0: Well, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. I hope you've learned a lot about the Arizona Senate race from this episode, and I hope that you will hear soon from Senator Martha McSally. You can let us know what you think on Twitter. I'm at Yvonne Winget.
1: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N.
0: Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Kayla White. If you like our show, please let us know by leaving a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.